This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We, uh, we started a message, um, actually we're on in. The, the theme has been living inside out, right? And the first uh, series in that, the first four messages, I called, you're full of it. The question is, what are you full of, right? What's inside of your heart eventually comes out of your mouth. It eventually comes out through your actions. We talked about how from day one, the human heart is filled with selfishness. That's a problem when we're full of sin and selfishness. It separated us from God. So what did God do? Because of this, he sent Jesus, who would pay the ultimate price. So he would start over with us, making us a brand new creation, starting over from scratch, restoring us to the Father. And then we went on talking about how you know, our, we have, we're this new creation, our spirit is new, but we still have this issue called our soul, right? The soul is inherently selfish, and the soul is what we spend our life working on, right? Working it out. And so what we do is we, as believers, we feed our spirit and we starve our soul so that our spirit will be in charge and it will lead the way and we'll accomplish everything God's called us to accomplish, and so we started last week in uh, kind of a new series in this theme, and I called it The Proof is in the, what? Not the pudding. The proof is in the fruit. Fruit is very, very important, right? And our key scripture, which will probably be our key scripture for the next few weeks, was 1 Corinthians 12, 27. It says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So here's the deal. Jesus is no longer walking the earth like we read in the Gospels, right? We can't hear that Jesus is over in South Haven uh, walking through healing the sick today. It just, that, that Jesus is gone. On the Mount of Ascension, he ascended into heaven, right? But how many of you know Jesus is still at work in the earth today? He's still loving the lost, healing the sick, and bringing hope to the hopeless. Only difference, he just looks a little different. He looks just like you. Because he is you, and he is me. We are his body. We're to go forth and do the same things that Jesus did, correct? Each of us, no matter who we are, no matter how insignificant we may think we are, we all have a part to play. We all have to, do our, we all have to pull our weight and do our part and fulfill our responsibilities within this new family that we find ourselves a part of as believers, as followers of Jesus. So I gave you four things last week. I said, what of Jesus should be seen in us? Number one, I said, his heart, Jesus' heart. He was full of compassion and love toward others, regardless of whether they accepted him or not, regardless of whether they looked, filled the mold that the religious people of that day thought they should look like. Jesus had love and compassion. Secondly, I said we need to be his hands. Jesus' hands were always at work, meeting the needs and touching those around them. Thirdly, I said his voice. Jesus was always speaking the uncompromised truth, always. And he spoke the uncompromised truth in love. And the last thing I mentioned, number four, was we are to be the feet of Jesus. Jesus was always going. He walked the talk. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the talk, right? He wasn't on the sidelines. He wasn't expecting somebody else to jump in and fulfill his responsibilities. Jesus went, and he did what needed to be done, right? And, and it was never promised that this life, following in the footsteps of Jesus, would be easy. And we know that many times it's not popular, right? But it's always worth it. It's always worth it because lives are on the line. And that's what we're called to. So we are Jesus in the earth. We are to go out into our everyday life 
and fulfill the mission of Jesus, proclaiming the good news to the poor, proclaiming liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, setting at liberty those who are oppressed. Isn't that right? From Luke chapter 4, that's what Jesus came to do. So that's what we're called to do. So when he says that we're to go and that we're to do these things, who are we commanded to go to? Well, all we got to do is look at the great commandment. Mark chapter, 15, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into the world, all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, when he says every creature, he's not talking about the deers and the antelopes. Right? He's not talking about dogs and turtles. In the English Standard Version, it says, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. New Living says, preach the good news to everyone. But I like the way the Message Bible says it the best. It says, announce the message of God's good news to one and all. Who are we to go to? We're to go to all, right? Every person, every person we encounter, we are to be Jesus to them. And I think this is an area that in many ways hangs up the church sometimes. I think because of selfishness and laziness, the church has stopped fulfilling the mission that we see that was being accomplished in the early church, in the book of Acts and on. The church has stopped doing that, and the church hasn't been doing what it was created to do. And we have lots of excuses for not reaching out to people. We have lots of excuses for not being the hands and feet of Jesus. And I just jotted down a few that I've, that I've heard before. I've heard people say, well, I'm not called to that. I'm called to intercession. Really? Is that right? Is that right? Yes, we're called to intercede, but you think you're called to intercede in the back room, pray that God will send other people to go reach the people around you? No, it doesn't work like that. I've heard people say, well, I'm doing other things for God. God will send somebody else. Really? Think so? You know, one of the scariest things to me, I'm afraid that one day in eternity I'll find out that I was the last voice to somebody before they took their last breath, but I was too busy. I was too distracted. I was too focused. I assumed somebody else would come along. Pretty scary, sobering thought, isn't it? I've heard people say, well, brother, I don't want to be influenced by the world. Come on, then don't be. Get into the word, get grounded in the faith. I'm not saying go, <laughs> I'm not saying go hang out in the strip clubs trying to win everybody to Jesus. How about just your community and the people right around you? I can't go to unbelievers. I just, I, I might be influenced by the world. Oh, baloney, stop it. Go be Jesus to the lost. Who will? If not you, then who? How else are they going to hear? Most of them aren't going to come walking into the church. I've heard people say, well, nobody wants to hear that stuff today. The world is so vile and perverted. Things have just gone too far. Really? The Bible says that Jesus is the hope of the world, and you're his body. Yeah, the church doesn't stand up. No, there is no hope. But there is a hope. There is a light. There is a beacon in the darkness. And it's you. And it's me. 
And we've got to stop making excuses. And we've got to choose to be the heart, to be the hands, to be the voice, to be the feet of Jesus to those that God has called us to. Who has God called us to? Everybody. Everybody around us. Everybody that we encounter every day. So I'm going to give you four things. Now, in your, um, in your service guide, there should have been a note sheet. I invite you to grab that note sheet, pull it out. You can follow along on there. There's some blanks you can fill in. You can also follow along on the, uh, on the Bible app on your iPhone or Android, whatever you may have. You can follow along, go to events, and our notes are automatically uh, they're listed in there, and you'll see them um, pop up on your, on your device. How do we impact people in our life? So we're supposed to be Jesus. And like I say, I, I, I got four things this week that I put down. And let me say before I start with that, I think it's almost kind of sad, these four points, that they have to be said. But sometimes we're not accomplishing the very simple, most basic things that we're supposed to do. And it has to be said. So how do we impact people in our life? How do we choose to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Number one, respect and honor people. Respect and honor people. As I don't know what your view is, and I, I hope it doesn't ever seem that I've got a negative view of the church, but I think this is an area that we really need to work on. Honor and respect of people. And it starts with us individually. We have got to learn to respect others despite the differences. Whatever the differences are. Differences like what? Well, race, color, male, female, Hispanic, Asian, African, Muslim, Jehovah's Witness, gay, straight, Democrat, Democrat, Republican, young, old. We've got to learn to respect regardless of the differences. People say, well, what? How in the world can I respect that? And you, you could pick out some things in that list that you have a problem with. I know. Let's talk about respect for a minute. I looked up the word respect just to get a basic definition. Respect means esteem for or a sense of the worth or the excellence of a person. Can we agree that God sees worth in every human being that was created and has ever walked the earth? It also means to show regard or consideration for. Does that not sound like Jesus? We may not agree with a person's lifestyle and we may not respect their opinions. How many of you know that is totally okay? But the Bible tells us that we are to be a people of respect and honor. I believe that we're to respect the dignity of every individual and treat them in such a way that we don't have any regard for whether they're rich or poor or black or white or American or immigrant, whatever it may be. Respect is a way of treating or thinking about someone. Again, you don't have to have respect for somebody's opinion. For example, I respect the sanctity of human life. 
others do not, I will still respect and honor the person. I don't agree with everybody's opinion, but here's the thing with us as believers. We don't have to be disagreeable. I think it's important that we can agree to disagree, but not be disagreeable and constantly argumentative, which has become so prevalent in our society today. People are looking for a fight, right? Everybody's wanting to argue, 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 make their point. We don't have to be disagreeable, and we don't have to be constantly argumentative. Yet, we can disagree and not respect the opinion or the actions of someone else. We're losing that in society today. Much of society doesn't believe that. No, if, you don't, if you're not okay with my opinion, if you're not okay with the way I live, if you're not okay, then you're, you know, this or that. The Bible gives us a lot of good definitions of honor. And it tells us that we're to give honor to whom honor is due. For instance, I was thinking about this. What is the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother. You may live long, right? So we got the word honor there. The word honor, you know, in the Old Testament, it was a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word was kabod, and it means to be heavy or weighty. So we honor, we're to take this command seriously because it's heavy with responsibility and has great weight in the eyes of God. So we're getting an idea of what honor means. Now, Paul actually repeats this command in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. He repeats this command again. But when he does it, he's writing in Greek. And the word honor, the word he, he uses, the Greek word, means to estimate or to fix the value of. It means to revere. It means to revere or have high regard. So he's talking about honoring your father and mother. So revering, having high regard for your father and mother. Notice something here. It doesn't say to honor them if they're worthy of it. It doesn't say to honor them if they're a believer, if they're a follower of Jesus. It just says to honor them. It's quiet in here. Man. For example, we should, the Bible tells us to obey the laws of the land. It tells us to respect and honor authority, right? I know there's some bad situations out there. I know there's some exceptions. But let me tell you what, when we encounter a law enforcement officer, first thing we should do is show honor and respect. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, officer. Right? Not immediately being disrespectful. The Bible tells us to respect and honor the elderly. There's all kinds of examples. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ, as honor Jesus the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So when we share with people, when people ask us, what, what, what is it different about you? What is the hope within you? It, it, it says that this is an honor to, to the Lord, honor to Jesus. And it says, do it with gentleness and respect. That means these churches who love to stand on street corners that said, God hates you, you're going to hell. That's not gentleness and respect, I don't believe, right? We respect even if we're not respected. We show honor. We respect people, even if we disagree with them and them with us. Believers are commanded to show honor and respect to others. And here's the thing. It's never qualified by behavior. 
God didn't qualify his love for us by our behavior. Thank you, Jesus. Our respect for others is not qualified by their behavior. We respect others. We honor others. And then if you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, y'all know this. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others. Notice here, it doesn't say believers, right? This is others. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of believers. Here's the thing with unbelievers. When we look at them, many times we look at them differently. I mean, we, we know who we are in Jesus as believers. You know, we're, we're heirs to the kingdom. We've been grafted into the vine, right? God is our father. We look at unbelievers differently in, in, in that aspect, rightfully so. But here's the realization. They were created by God. They have a purpose. I would rather say they're not yet believers. God's pursuing them. He's chasing them down. The Holy Spirit is drawing them to the Father. That tells me that we've got to watch the way we act and react. and We've got to take advantage of moments and situations that are presented to us. Remember, we talked about last week, the Bible says it's not God's will that any should perish. Correct? God is giving the unbeliever, he's given them every chance to turn their life around. He's given them every chance to come to him. He pleads, his heart breaks. And too often we look right past him. And this is the example of Jesus. And we talked about last week how you know, people will say, well, Jesus was harsh sometimes. Well, firstly, he was only harsh with religious believers, religious people we would call believers. He was only harsh with the religious folks of that day who were, not, who were, who were talking the talk but not walking it out. He was only harsh with those who were living hypocritical lives, right? But he always treated them with dignity, he always treated them respect, and we know he did the same for unbelievers. Think about this. Think about the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. She was also a woman, by the way. Neither of which were very highly respected and honored during that day. Jesus received her. Think about the prostitutes that Jesus held his arms open wide to. Look at the beggars, the outcasts, people who had diseases that had been cast out of town. Jesus was there with the arms open wide. The Romans, boy, that ticked some folks off. He healed Roman folks, went into their homes. Jews hated the Romans. They hated the Roman occupation. Jesus loved them. The tax collectors, Jesus treated them all with dignity and respect, even though the religious the Jewish community generally didn't respect these people, didn't honor them. And I think over the years, unfortunately, I think the church, the universal church, the body of Christ, has appeared in many ways arrogant. And we haven't given people respect and honor. We've had this view that we're on the inside and they're on the outside. And I think in many ways what it's done is it's built a wall that has almost deterred people from coming to Christ. Does this make any sense? 
We don't see this in Jesus' ministry. We see sinners running to him. And I think this is one of the major reasons the church doesn't hold the respect of the world that it should. I think that we haven't sown respect and honor many times as the church, and we're not sowing respect and honor. We've got to be like Jesus. We've got to respect those with different views, not necessarily respecting, respecting their views, but them as individuals that God created and loves. So that's number one, and that, that's one I'll spend the longest on. We'll, we'll go a little quicker from here, but respect and honor I think is huge. Number two, how do we reach people? Watch your expectations. This goes along the same lines. We have this idea that those who are not yet believers are vile and perverse and perverted. No, there's some things in their lives that are vile and perverse and perverted. And why? Because they don't follow Jesus. They don't follow the same standards that we follow. So why in creation would we expect them to act the way that we act as believers who have been serving God for decades? We're all surprised. <gasps> you know, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they... <gasps> what else would we expect? Think they're going to act like a seasoned believer? Of course not. It's just unreasonable to even think that. I think one reason that Jesus gained influence among the lost in his day is because he didn't act in disgust toward people's lives and at their lostness. <laughs> Whatever you would say. He didn't act in disgust. You know, it's funny. I was thinking many times we get upset because of something we see on a TV show or in a movie. We see vile behavior. We see premarital sex, homosexuality, all these different things. Well, part of the attraction we feel toward film is the reality, is the fact that it depicts real life. Now, how many of you know those things are real life? Those things are the real world. Now, that doesn't mean that you go watch a bunch of trash. I'm not saying that. But we've got to realize that sin, sexual sin, different things, are portrayed in film because that's real life. And the majority of filmmakers are not trying to honor God. They're portraying the real world. What's out there? What appeals to those who are not yet believers? We shouldn't be surprised when non-Christians act or respond in a non-Christian way. It's all right. And the reality is, when we start judging, we lose our ability to be taken seriously. When we act in this morally superior manner, It's not going to be received real well. And how many of you know this? It's the enemy's job to condemn and accuse. It's not ours. Our job is to reach the lost. We do what Jesus did. So we can't act surprised when lost people act like lost people. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So we've got to quit acting in disgust because we've got these expectations of everybody around us. What, what we do is we, we put the expectations that we feel that God has of us and we put them on everybody else around us in the world. And that is completely unreasonable. In our arrogance, as I said a minute ago, many times I think we come across in this us versus them mentality. And that's totally felt. 
The world totally sees that. We judge people who are not yet believers, and we're not going to be effective, effective in winning them as friends and influencing them for Christ. Really, what it ends up doing is making us look insecure and foolish and giving the body of Christ a bad name. Luke chapter 7, verses 34 and 35 says, The Son of Man has come eating. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I hope that in the end that God says to me, you were a friend of sinners. Because that's what Jesus was accused of. We know that he was only harsh with the self-righteous religious we know that the unbelievers, these people out there, he invited them into relationship with him. He didn't hesitate to accept invitations to come in their home, come into their homes and visit with their families. These people weren't following him. He was a friend to the sinner. He would sit at their tables with them. He would build a relationship with them. He would love them. He would meet their needs. He knew this was the best way to influence them. It was from a position of relationship. Have you know, people receive the best with us, best from, people receive from us the best when we have established relationship. We've got to include and invite the lost into relationship with us. When we associate with only Christians, we have more in common with the Pharisees than we do with Jesus. Jesus came to call sinners to him and to proclaim the kingdom of God. Romans 2, verse 4 from the New Living Bible, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? We see Jesus kind to people who had done all kinds of things. But his kindness, his love, turned them from their sin. They would come running to him. We've got to be careful how we act, how we respond, and the expectations that we put on others. We can't expect non-believers to act like believers. I was uh, at an event a number of months back, and I ran into somebody, a woman I hadn't seen in a long time. And she came up and said, hey. And she turns and introduced me to her fiancé, who was a woman. I think she was partially waiting to see how I would respond. And I shook her hand and told her how great it was to meet her. And I sat there and talked to them for a few minutes. We've got to make sure that we're not putting our convictions and our expectations on the lost. We've got to step outside of that. I, I don't know if, I think I've told this before, but when I was in, when I was in Bible school, I was living in Dallas. There was this guy who, uh, we were, there was a bunch of us from the school, from the Bible school. We were working at, at um, at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Dallas, there at the Reunion Arena. And um, we were running valet. And there was this one guy there who was very open. He was very flamboyant and very open about being bisexual and, and would flaunt his, all this stuff. And I found that deep down, he was a really nice guy. He just liked to stir up the Christians. That's what he did. And I saw... Other folks from the school, from my school, who would just argue with them and quote scripture. How do you quote scripture to non-believer? What does that mean to them? You might as well be quoting from Tom Sawyer. Doesn't mean anything to them. 
I actually became friends with a guy, and we started taking our lunch break together. We would go and grab some food and go hang out and actually were able to sit down and have and talk out things. And he knew where I stood on things, what my beliefs were. I knew where he stood on things, what his beliefs were. And we were able to sit and share meals together and enjoy each other's company. We've got to watch how we respond to people. We are Jesus. We can't expect those who aren't following Christ to live according to God's word. So that was secondly, we've got to watch our expectations. Thirdly, be a godly example. If we're going to reach people, we've got to be a godly example. If we're going to be Jesus in the earth. I mean, I've seen so many times somebody gets all excited, excited, pointing people to Jesus. Inviting them to church. But they ruin it all because they can't get their flesh in order. They ruin the relationship. They're a terrible example. And the people turn away where they were open before. All of a sudden, they're gone. How's it? We don't, have for, we don't have to be perfect for a moment. But we need to walk the talk. If we're going to be Jesus... Nobody respects somebody who says one thing and lives another. Isn't that true? I think the world is tired of the church shouting out legalistic conditions of following God, yet seeing others in the church living in blatant sin. Doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but we've got to be quick to admit our shortcomings. We've got to be quick to repent and to make things right and to keep moving forward. And we've got to remember, like I said last week, Jesus lived the example. If we're going to share with people the difference God has made in our lives, then we need to live it. We need to display it. If we look no different than the world, why in the world would anybody follow us? Why in the world would they listen to what we're sharing, no matter how much we plead? Ephesians 5, 8 from the New Living says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have, the, have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. This tells us that as believers, we live in a dark world. But it says here that we make the choice. We've, we've become this new creation. Jesus is in us. We're part of the body of Christ. So now we make the decision to be people of light. People need to see the difference in us. It's talking about the proof is in the fruit, right? Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. This is where people begin to see the difference. And they begin to come and say, I see something different in you. You've gone through a tragedy, but I've seen you hold it together. I've seen you have a hope that I just couldn't have in your situation. There's your opportunity, right? But if you handle the situation just like anybody else in the world would, it's just normal, right? Romans 12, 2. Y'all know this. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our lives are a litmus test. Our lives approve and support that God is who we say he is. Our lives are the proof of it. Your life is the example that backs up the words. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There are so many people today not following God because 
they don't see anything genuine. I think that's why one of the first things people say who aren't yet believers, one of the first things they say is, oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. We have got to live the example. We've got to walk the talk if we're going to be a godly influence in this world. Last thing I want to mention, number four, see others as God sees them. See others as God sees them. For Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance on the height of his stature because I rejected him. Okay, he's gone to select the next king, right? He's got the sons of, da- sons of David, sons of Jesse before him, right? And he's basically saying, don't look at him the way, I, the way that you normally would look at him. Don't look at him through the eyes of the flesh. Look at him the way I look at him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, right? Mark 6, 34 says, When Jesus landed, he saw a huge crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Guys, we can be so quick to make natural judgments of people. But we've got to ask ourselves, what does God see? Maybe you're going through a rough spot in your marriage. Maybe your attitude has gotten bad toward your spouse. One of the first things you need to do is stop and begin to see your spouse the way God sees them. As valuable, accepted, lovable, forgivable. What about the strangers that we encounter? What about the person that cuts us off in traffic? What about the beggar on the corner? What do we see when we look at people? Do we see them as irritations? Do we see them as burdens? Do you see, how do you see the people you work for? Do you see them as, as the enemy? Do you see people around you as competition? Or do you see what God sees? All people matter to God. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter what they believe in. They matter to God. Jesus died for them. He loves them. If they had been the only one, he still would have laid down his life for them. God has a plan for their lives. He wants relationship with them. That relationship can be restored through you. We look, at, we look at the outside. We see the bad attitude. We hear the perverse language. We smell the nasty smell. We make judgments in the natural. We see the bad decisions they're making. God looks on the inside. He sees a person that's hurt. He sees a person broken. He sees a person captive. And he loves them. He sees someone that needs hope. And so he sends you. 
you know, there's even been times, there's even been times in restaurants that we've gotten terrible service, and sometimes we tip even more. What is it going to, I've heard people say, oh, I'm not, I'm not tipping, they, that, they messed up my order, they, you know, what, a lot of times we'll tip even more. Because what, 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 what is it going to help them? Is it going to bless them by not tipping them? Well, they, they, they didn't bless me first. Oh, okay. That's Christ-like, right? We don't know what the person's going through. We don't know what difference our kindness and our love may make. Well, they don't deserve it. We didn't deserve it either. We didn't deserve it either. Our love and kindness to others should never be based on behavior. It should never be based on performance. We have got to love the way that Jesus loved. We should pray every day, God, let me see others the way that you see them. Allow my heart to break the way that yours breaks. You really mean that, he'll do it, and it'll change things. If we sum it all up, Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us. He honored us. He respected us enough that he came and he laid down his life for us while we were still his enemy. We too are to give our lives for others. Before I wrap up, it's got me thinking. Any of you know that song by Casting Crowns? been played on K-Love about 30 bazillion times. We are the body. Maybe you've heard that. Got me thinking. The chorus of that. But if we are the body, then why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? If we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing them that there is a way? It's totally on us, guys. 100%. We are the heart, the hands, the voice, the feet of Jesus. He's not coming back to walk again the way we saw in the Gospels. We are the body. So what are we going to do about it? Let's all stand up. Let's bow our heads. Let me get the worship team to come on up as we, as we begin to close. Let's just bow our heads. Let's just bow our heads together. First and foremost, if this is you and you recognize, you know what? I'm not part of that body. I live my life for myself. But I want to be part of something bigger. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to make a difference. I want my life to count for something. I don't want to get to the end and realize that I've lived this self-serving life. And realize in the end, I can't take anything with me. If that's you, and you would say, I have got to make a change today, then this is your moment. You may have never surrendered your life to Jesus before, and we're going to give you that opportunity here in just a second. Or you may have prayed a prayer to receive Christ but you recognize that you never truly surrendered your life to him. And that's what it's about. He said, repent and believe. We leave out the repentance part. We're like, oh, I can pray a prayer. 
It's not about the prayer. We turn our life around. We say, God, I surrender myself to you. I give my life to you. I'm going to do the things that you want me to do. I'm going to follow in Jesus' footsteps all the days of my life. I'm going to allow you to use me. I'm going to fill your dreams and desires, not my dreams and desires. You may recognize that you prayed the prayer once, but truly it was nothing more than a prayer. And you recognize right now that your heart is not surrendered to Christ. And I would say, this is your moment. Get things right. Don't wait another moment. Or you may have followed the Lord. Maybe you came out of the womb practically saved. You grew up in church. You always followed the Lord. But you find yourself in a moment right now where you've gotten so busy that your priorities have gotten out of whack. And you've been depending on your own strength, your own mind, to try and move forward and to wade through the muck of life instead of allowing Christ to rule and reign allowing him to shine his light and to guide the way. And you realize that today your priorities need to change a little bit. You need to get things back in alignment and you need to put him back in the place where he belongs. Every head bowed, every eye closed, that's you. And you would say, I need to make a change today. I want to be a part of the body. I don't want to sit on the sidelines any longer. I just want you to lift your hand and say, that's me. Yes, who else? There's two. Anybody else? would say, I have got to get my life right. Awesome. We're going to pray a prayer in just a moment. Recognize it's not about the prayer. I encourage you to get your heart in order right now. Silence all the other voices. Focus on Jesus. Recognize for just a moment, meditate on him and the price that he paid. Let his love, let his embrace, let it just saturate your being from the inside out. heart in a position to surrender. And if you mean these words with all your heart, if you repent and believe, you will be saved. You become a new creation. All things become new. And you become part of something so much bigger than you could ever imagine. And thankfully, you will also know that when you take that last breath and you close your eyes, you will find yourself standing in the glory of God. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I am so lost without him. I've tried it on my own, and I am an utter failure without him. Today, Jesus, I declare that you are Lord of my life. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe you lived a perfect life and you laid your life down and you did it for me. You took my sin and you took my shame. You took my guilt and you took it to the grave. And I thank you for that. You laid down your life for me and today I lay down my life for you. Today I surrender. I surrender my dreams and desires. I surrender my way, and I choose to follow you. Holy Spirit, fill me, 
and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I choose to follow you all the days of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I thank you for every person that prayed that prayer today. For those who gave their lives, for those who rededicated their lives, maybe even for those that are watching online, maybe you're watching this even months from now, I thank you, Lord, that you're there ready and waiting with arms open wide. Lord, we stand before you as your children. Lord, we want to make a difference for you. We want to have the heart of Jesus. We want to be the hands of Jesus. We want to speak with the voice of Jesus. We want to walk with the feet of Jesus. May we be that shining beacon of hope in the world. Those things are dark, Lord. But you're within us. And you're that lighthouse on a hill. And we thank you, Lord, that the lost are going to come running. Because just like you, we stand as a body of Christ with arms open wide, not in judgment and condemnation but with a love that's inconceivable, a love that's unconditional, a love that accepts people right where they're at, doesn't require change, doesn't have lists of conditions. Lord, we want to be just like Jesus. So today, as we just read, we choose to be children of the light. We choose to let that light shine. We won't hide it won't be too busy. We won't be wrapped up in other things. We won't turn a callous, blind eye any longer. But we'll reach out with the loving arms of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Just pray, Lord, that you would just give us a burden for the lost. Lord, that our heart would beat in sync with yours. That every person we come in contact with, we would be very aware of the fact that they are either yours or they're lost. Lord, let our heart break with yours. May we become desperate to reach the lost. May we be your smile. May we be your touch. We love you, God. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.